Boy, I like that. And this yeah. month, the December issue, I've got two articles in that magazine. Wow. Welcome to Wild Game Dynasties podcast, episode number 45. Folks, we have a great podcast this week. Sorry I'm a day late uploading it, but hey, we were finishing up with our muzzleloading hunt with some clients up in uh, beautiful Montmorency County, Atlanta area. Hey, we did really well. We Everybody tagged out and uh, hey, shot a couple of nice deer, uh, some with antlers, some with not. So all a good thing. Congratulations to our hunters. Hey, we're back to reality and we are uh, uploading a podcast with uh, a special guest today. Uh, someone that I think probably, uh, well, if you picked up a deer in Deer Hunting Magazine in the last several years, including the current one of December, you're going to be graced with uh, uh, well, a couple articles from Steve Sorensen, outdoor writer from Pennsylvania. Wonderful guy. Uh, wears his uh, Christian faith on his sleeve, and, and that's a wonderful thing. But uh, he also writes a great article. Um, very, very uh, astute woodsman, hunter, fisherman, etc. Without further ado, let's roll right into podcast episode number 45. Steve, this is Gary Morgan giving you a call. I appreciate you uh, picking up the phone and answering. Well, good to hear from you. Uh, let's have a good conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've talked about doing this conversation, which is, of course, for our, our uh, Wild Game Dynasty podcast. And uh, But, uh, you know, it's like anything. Uh, we're, you know, we're trying to pick some times right in the midst of hunting season and Gee whiz, uh, I, I guess there's not a, probably not a busier time to try to fit something in. So, but hey, we found a, uh, we found a way to get it done, and here we are. Uh, you're located though, of course. You know, my listeners know I'm from Michigan, but uh, give me a little bit about yourself and where you're from. And okay, I'm in northern Pennsylvania, northwest Pennsylvania, um, about four miles from the New York line. Uh, which makes it easy for me to hunt both New York and Pennsylvania for deer. And uh, uh, I have readers in my newspaper columns in, in both states. So uh, I try to, I have to, I have to kind of uh, not focus too much on specifics for either state since, yeah. you know, something's going on in the Pennsylvania Game Commission that people in New York really don't want to read about that. So Right, yeah. Hey, uh, how how far are you from, because uh, I'm picturing, I'm not the greatest at geography, but uh, I'm trying to picture uh, your location, are you that far from the Adirondacks? Yeah, quite a, quite a ways from the Adirondacks, that's really northern New York. Okay. Uh, I've been up there, uh, last year I was up there, I think twice, yeah, for, uh, I, I do a lot of speaking at wild game dinners at churches. Yes, indeed. And uh, that's, uh, that's kind of the main thing that I do January, February, March during the cabin fever season. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, I enjoy doing that, and uh, it's a really meaningful ministry. It absolutely uh, is. So uh, there are not a lot of people that I think do a real good job at that. Well, that's a, uh, that's a huge void for some gifted people that have time and uh, a God-gifted talent to do. And uh, it's nice when, you know, people take time out of their busy schedule because it's, it's something you have to, I mean, it's second nature, yeah. to, second nature to you, but you got to take a concerted effort to uh, make sure it fits into your plans. Yeah, I, I did about 20 of these this year, 2019. Oh, my. And I usually schedule about a year ahead. I still have actually some openings for 2020, uh, a few openings in uh 
the early months. But uh, yeah, it, it keeps me busy. Um, and a lot of people, uh, you know, churches have different purposes for doing these, but uh, mainly I, I just share my Christian testimony, share the gospel, and, uh, and try to make it clear and uh, uh, fulfill the mission of what the church is trying to do that night. You betcha, absolutely. And uh, hey, we all have a, uh, a good message to tell, and it's nice that uh, when someone is comfortable getting up in front of somebody, or I should say a, uh, a church membership, uh, say a wild game dinner or whatever it might be, uh, boy, you know, it's nice that people have that talent and that gift to do that because... Uh, yeah, you know, you know, the funny thing about my life, I, I never would have guessed that I would end up doing what I'm doing. I, I actually trained for ministry. I have a seminary degree and, uh, and it was in ministry for a few years and uh, took a, a big different turn where I began to learn to write. And uh, those two things kind of come together here, yeah. which I wouldn't have really, really planned to do. So I think I'm where the Lord wants me. That's right. Doing what he wants me to do right now and, uh, and enjoying it. Nice. Well, hey, his, his plan is uh, divine and ours is not. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want to be in charge of my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've tried that on my end, and uh, that's exactly you. You can take a look back in my uh, all my pictures, we'll say, and you see where I failed. It's when I tried to yeah, remain yeah. in charge. Or I thought I knew better. So, but yeah, uh, but it, it is a privilege to be to be doing this, and uh, the writing that I do kind of forms a foundation, gives me um, credibility and some expertise to share. Yeah. And uh, I speak to crowds anywhere as small as maybe 40 uh, up to biggest ones, maybe seven, 800. Uh, so been to some pretty big yeah. uh, events of this type and travel pretty widely. I've been down as far as Atlanta, Georgia. And last year, um, Super Bowl weekend, I was in Billings, Montana. Oh, my. Wow. Um, now, you're, I, for me... Uh, I, I know you best for, in my mind, or in my life, as a, an outdoor writer. And I've enjoyed yeah. reading your articles. And uh, I, I think our listeners probably feel the same way in a lot of ways, because my listeners are probably mainly from Michigan. Give us, uh, yeah, give us a rundown of who you're writing for nowadays. Well, um, I started out writing for the local newspaper, and first year I did that, I won the best newspaper column in Pennsylvania from the Pennsylvania Outdoor Writers Association. Nice. And I won that three times. I don't write for the local paper anymore, but I do write for a few other papers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I try to link most of what I write as much as I can to my website, which is everydayhunter.com. Nice. And my blog there is called Mission Hunter. Um, I recently... Uh, uh, well, I, not, not so recently. I, a number of years ago, I hooked up with Havilon Knives, and I do a lot of writing for them. Um, and uh, and so they, you know, I kind of write for their blog. Yes. Uh, magazines I write for on the national level, I've been in quite a few, but most regularly I'm in Deer, Deer Hunting Magazine. Boy, I like that. And this yeah. month, the December issue, I've got two articles in that magazine. Wow. Yeah, well, hopefully our listeners will... Uh... Well, a lot of them. I see in uh, in camp, people will bring magazines, and uh, some guys left uh, yeah. ma magazines from 
way back and I say way back but in October I see a pile of them. I see a deer deer hunting magazine sitting over there usually do you know it's it's a magazine yeah. a lot of people really uh, really enjoy and I, I gotta say it's in my opinion it's probably one of the top national magazines too uh, and I enjoy the articles they seem to have some really good credibility in what they're well I, I think they have their finger on the pulse of the ordinary everyday hunter yes uh, it started out as a um, kind of a grassroots magazine, a couple of guys just called themselves the Stump Sitters. Okay. And, uh, of course, you build something, sooner or later it's time to retire and somebody wants to buy it, and so it's been in corporate ownership a couple of times. And and just uh, last summer, uh, some of the, the guys at the magazine uh, went together and, and found the funding, and they bought it out of bankruptcy. So it's, it's, really, it's really as strong now as it's ever been. Wow, done very well. Nice. Well, you talk about uh, building something and selling it off. I mean, I remember I was in uh, I was in Missouri tidying up some some scouting, and I had hooked up on Facebook like you like I have with you with uh, Marion James, Mr. James, and oh yeah, and heard heard that same story about building a company and then of course selling it off. Yeah, we'll say for a couple of dollars, eh? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, well, the, the problem is that eventually the the decisions are made in some office in New York City or some somewhere else like that and and uh they really don't have their finger on the pulse of the, of yeah. the readers. Uh it's all about, you know, the bean counters running things and yep. and now deer and deer hunting is, is really back to where it started and uh stronger than ever. They're really, really producing I mean, it's, there's something to be said for the, the trophy hunting magazines, the big buck magazines, and I write for a little bit of that too, but um, for something that gives the everyday hunter, yeah. the ordinary guy who doesn't have much of a shot at getting, you know, a Boone and Crockett whitetail, but still wants to get a nice buck and uh, can know how to go about it, be more effective and efficient at his hunting, uh, it's where it's at for deer hunting. Yeah, absolutely. And hey, the average we'll call it the everyday hunter, the uh, the person that fits in that parameter, which is, you know, probably, what, 80, 90%. Um, uh-huh. It's not about not having a uh, skill set. It's a lot of it's just not finding that they don't have the time. We I mean, we only have so yeah. much uh, vacation time. And, of course, a fraction of the vacation time, you know, is probably set aside for hunting, but it's, it's a fraction. And yeah, uh, right. you, you only got so much time, and you only have so much spendable income to devote to it. You, you so you kind of rely on some uh, some guys' uh, stories that uh, put their pants on one leg at a time too. So yeah, uh-huh. yeah, absolutely. So that's uh, hey, we're grateful for that. We appreciate uh, your contributions towards that, and uh, and of course you enjoy it, or you wouldn't be doing it. So yeah, I do enjoy it. It's, it's a lot of. It's, a, it's kind of funny. People think because I'm an outdoor writer and I write about deer hunting and get to hunt all the time, it's sometimes it's tough to find time to hunt. Yeah. Especially was... archery season. I have a difficult time getting out in archery season. Oh, man. But uh, yeah. but anyway, I'm I'm hunting almost every day right now. We're in the middle of our, of our gun season in Pennsylvania. It started last Saturday. Wow. And it goes for two weeks. Okay. Um, now, I... I hunted Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I did not hunt today, mostly because we had a lot of snow last night. Wow. And I thought visibility was going to be poor because there was so much snow in the 
tree limbs. You know, yeah. you couldn't see very far. Yeah, absolutely. But I think this afternoon might have been a nice time to hunt, but I was already busy with some other things. Hey, there's always another day, you know. I plan to hunt all day tomorrow and all day Saturday. Oh, nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's good. And, uh, you know, and the listeners, that's what they want is the, the person that writes uh, an article uh, based off their experience, not based off what they've read, you know. Uh-huh. Um, somebody that's out there, like you say, at the everyday thing. So, uh, hey, let's kind of refine, uh, get in right, right, we'll call it the nuts and bolts of maybe our our uh, conversation here. Uh, we're in our late season. We finished up rifle season at the uh, on November 30th. Um, we paused for a little bit. Of course, archery season picks up on December 1st for the late season. But um, in, in our camp, uh, tomorrow morning is the opener. Um for muzzleloader season uh-huh. and of course that's you know between the archery and muzzleloading it's it's late season tactics that are needed to uh you know much different than the october 1st or even though november uh, 5th or 6th or 7th it's much different as we know but uh, i'm hoping you can share some uh, tactics for our listeners to uh you know pick a couple of gold nuggets out of this to maybe uh give them an opportunity to uh hit this late season and you know uh, when they get a chance to go out maybe on a long weekend and have an opportunity to uh, see some deer maybe uh, put a tag on an animal yeah well I'll try um, everything really changes after the rut things are very different than they were before the rut you know deer are a lot less predictable um, a lot less active it's it's cold weather they really need to conserve their energy now um they're not, uh, the bucks aren't chasing does. There might be a doe that comes into heat late or a young doe that comes into heat for the first time uh, that the bucks get interested in. But for the most part, um, the bucks are trying to restore their energy now from the busyness and the hectic rut that just, you know, finished up a couple of weeks ago. We in, in Michigan, we have a, uh, for a, for a, eons we'll say for a long time we were allowed to supplemental feed so a person could uh, you know bring a bag of apples or carrots and dump it out in the woods we'll say and sit on that that's been uh, that's changed in our lower peninsula and even part of the upper peninsula a couple of counties um, I, I think in an effort to uh, um, slow down the some disease progression yeah um in Pennsylvania, we are not familiar with baiting hardly at all. Okay. Uh, we, uh, in areas where we have a high deer population, they have tried it. It hasn't been particularly successful, but the hope was that by baiting deer into areas that they could be shot, they would pull them away from, you know, people's shrubbery. Down yeah. in Philadelphia, for example, where there's just a, a lot of small woodlots between communities or between neighborhoods but the deer they they love to eat people's uh, shrubbery so the idea was if we can bait them keep them away from the shrubbery put them into places where they can can be shot safely and uh not go die in somebody's yard yeah you know they've they've tried baiting i've read that that's not been very successful but that's that's diametrically opposite side of the state from what I'm in, so I have no experience with baiting at all. Yeah. I, I do know, though, whether this is the same as bear hunting or not, but 
the people that, that bait for bear hunting, uh, they need to get the bears habituated to that bait. And they need to, it's not just a matter of, I think I'll go hunting, I'll grab a bag of apples and duck them out. Yeah. And hope the deer show up. If the deer don't know they're there or don't expect them to be there, I don't know if that's going to really be yeah. very helpful. But as well, I said, I don't have any experience with, with uh, baited deer hunting. Well, probably our, I would say 80% of our hunters, maybe more, are in the lower peninsula of Michigan, probably more than 80%. And we're all faced with the idea of either hunting over some agricultural areas or maybe over uh, some mass crops, uh, yeah. you know, acorns, beech nuts, whatever it might be. Um, or, you know, we're allowed to plant some food plots, so there's been a lot of activity on that. Um, but if a person, uh, you know, because I think a lot of people, the everyday hunter will say, um, you know, they're thinking about it, they're at work, they pick up Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine, they're reading your article, they're reading another uh, contributor's article, and they're saying, hey, I'm going to go up to my cabin or my buddy's, uh, my uncle's property, he's got a 40. Um, yeah, there's snow we can look for deer sign but what should what should they be encompassing what what's their thought process to maximize their time to see whitetails well I, I think that you do you're right you have to capitalize on the food um, I'll speak from experience here uh, in years when we have a lot of acorns hunters get excited and think it's going to be easy to find deer but the problem is the deer can bed and they can get up and they can eat and lay back down and they may not have to move out of a, a, a piece of ground about an acre in size all day long. And if no hunter or no predator comes through there, you know, that's where they stay. And it's very difficult to see deer, particularly nowadays when people are hunting mostly from tree stands. Yes. Uh, tree stand hunters, I, I, I don't hunt very often from a tree stand. The main property in Pennsylvania that I hunt, uh, I do not have a tree stand on it. Uh, because I, in gun season, I'm, it depends on where the food is. It depends on where the bedding is. Um, I've got permission to hunt a couple of adjacent properties. Uh, so I, I just don't want to go out there and put myself in one spot and yeah. expect the deer to show up there. It's just in the kind of woods we have, um, that's not likely to happen, especially after the first day or a Saturday when there's a lot of hunters in the woods that will get some deer moving, but. Uh, when you're in the middle of the week like this is, uh, not many deer move. I, I hunted opening day, saw only eight deer, one small buck. Uh, I couldn't identify, I think, three of the deer that I saw. Uh, the next day, I saw four. Uh, I'm sure two of them were mature bucks, but I couldn't see their heads. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, Let's see, Tuesday I saw nothing. Yesterday I saw two small bucks. Funny thing was, one of them walked by me at about 40 yards, yearling, four-point deer. Yeah. And he was completely oblivious to me. That's pretty neat. And a couple of hours later, from the other side of me, uh, I'm just kind of looking out that direction, and I see, I see a deer, and it's looking right at me. From 150 yards, it, it picked me out. Downwind, apparently. And uh, No, it wasn't even downwind. Huh? Wow. Nope. Huh. Uh, he had. He was only a spike buck. I don't see many spike bucks, but he had one antler, maybe eight inches long, and the other one half that size. And uh, boy, he had me pegged. Wow, it's, it's funny. Yeah. Um, but 
anyway, that's all I've seen, but I know because there's been so little shooting, I know there's some mature bucks around there, and I think I'll probably get one. Yeah, absolutely. They can only stay in their beds for so long, and eventually, and like you say, uh, it it's it would be hopeful that where we're, we're, any of us might be hunting to uh, have one of those does uh, come into estrus, come into heat, and, yeah. and spread her lovely scent around, spread her perfume around. I did see a buck last night, a mature buck. Uh, I didn't see a doe, but he sure looked like he was chasing a doe. Mm. It was, you know, when I was driving along the road. And so, uh, you know, some of them probably still are looking. Yeah. Still have the energy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I remember when we hunted in the Upper Peninsula, we went, you know, we're, even the rut season, uh, they, you know, those deer up there are, are just so resilient as all whitetails are but it just it always marveled me that these deer you know uh, I say uh, 10 plus years ago uh, my dad my brother and I we would we would carry a little bit of bait up usually some corn because it was easier to carry uh, 10 pounds of corn in the woods and put it out about three or four days before season you're thinking these deer have nothing that can compare to corn around here we just throw it out and they're going to come running in there you know and uh, yeah, they come in, but it's not like they when they want to avoid your your bait. It's amazing. You think, well, they can't they can't resist, but yes, they can. Well, yeah, and and you know they live in the woods all the time, so they know where the food is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and if they've got access to food and it's safe there, it's going to be tough for your bait to pull them away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I consulted with. Uh, uh, a colleague of ours, I know he is yours, uh, Richard P. Smith, and about bear hunting one time, and he says, you could put out any amount of bait you want, anything you could think of, and you put it out, and the bear's got some natural food source in abundance someplace, you're really going to have a difficult time getting him to come in there. Yeah, I, I, I hunted with a guy in New Brunswick one time, and his strategy was, to have the bait ready as soon as the bears come out of hibernation oh, and, wow. uh, and get them habituated to the bait because once they find some natural food uh, that's reliable, they, why would they come to your bait? Boy, that's true too, yeah, absolutely. So today, the person's catching your podcast or say today or in the next handful of days and uh, he's looking at maybe running up to his... 40 acres um of course we have snow here in in most parts of michigan at least in the upper part of the uh -huh. of the uh, lower peninsula and of course the up um it's pretty easy to find tracks but if a guy sits decides to sit down he's thinking well i gotta catch them coming from their beds to the food because that's pretty much what uh steve Sorensen's telling us where should a guy be looking or where should a gal be looking to uh uh, well, it should be it should be fairly easy to find uh, places that at least you think they're bedding in in timber, especially timber where there's been some harvest in the last five to ten years. There's some thick cover that they can uh, that they can bed into. And if you kind of, I, I wouldn't walk through that stuff. I'd walk around the perimeter of it, uh, make sure the wind isn't going into it, and uh, see if I can find tracks coming in or out. If you find tracks going both directions, that's that's ideal uh, because you know there's deer there that are uh, uh, you know they're doing a behavior that's that's repeating.
repeatable and you can kind of rely on that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think if you if you uh, if you can find food, uh, your odds are going to go up. It's it's never a guarantee uh, because the deer will have more than one food source mm-hmm. typically, unless food is pretty scarce. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, of course, at this time of the year. Uh, they'll eat browse, they'll eat, you know, nibble off the, the, the twigs. It was the new growth from this year. Mm-hmm. But they'll also dig for acorns and and some some plants, they like the roots of them, and they'll dig down through the snow if it's not too deep and, and, and get the roots yeah. and chew those up. Uh, it's whatever gives them nourishment, and, and if, if food is difficult to find, the deer should be pretty uh, pretty easy to find. Good. There was a uh, a buddy of mine and I were walking through a 40 that we just acquired some permission to hunt. And, of course, we wanted to kind of give it a once through, you know, once over to get somewhat acclimated. And I just, yeah, we notice it every year, but it seemed to be much more noticeable in this area. There's probably five, six inches of snow, and but it seems like they're really digging for uh, what it looked to be anything that was kind of a lush green so on the edge of maybe yeah. a cedar swamp but not down in the swamp where the you know the stuff is just underneath the surface of the uh right. boy, there was a lot yeah. of that wow it just seemed like uh, uh, quite a bit of that activity yeah if the snow if it, usually around a swampy area uh it stays a little warmer a little bit longer and the snow cover maybe isn't so deep or or it's a it's there's vegetation holding it up they get into that stuff and you know, they they can find a lot to eat under there. Things that we wouldn't really think they're going to eat. Yeah. But, uh, and of course, in a swamp, cover is not very far away for them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, this is a uh, this is a nice conversation. Uh, and like you say, uh, and I think we all know the old uh, the old acronym uh, KISS or keep it simple. I think that sometimes can't be emphasized enough in deer hunting, especially this time of year. It's not uh, like you said. It's we're past the rut, or past probably ninety plus percent of it, except for that late or that young doe that just you know. But if we have to rely on that one doe in our area, um, so you know, boils down to uh, bedding and food. Yeah, I, I really do think this. People talk about the second rut. I think that's kind of overrated. Okay. I don't have any doubt that there is a second rut activity, a second estrus, any any. Biologically, any doe that doesn't get bred at the rut will cycle back and, and become come into estrus again. Yeah, and of course, some of the young does do. Maybe they don't. They're not mature enough at six months old to come into heat uh, in November. Uh, but then, by seven months old, they are old enough, and they'll come into heat for the first time in December. So, I, I do think there is uh, something to the second rut. But I don't think it's there's enough there that we can really rely on that. I think the, the bulk of the deer, it's, it's probably one of those 80-20 things. Yes. Um, you've got the 80% that you're going to have success on because you know where they're going to feed. You're able to find the trails where you can intercept them or some bench that they cross to get, you know, yes. out of the way. Um, they, they will bed where they can... Uh, see something down below them and smell something from behind them and uh, we've got to have the wind in top of mind especially at this time of the year because uh, 
bet. Uh, they can see us a long ways through open woods, and uh, maybe if, if the wind is coming from a spot that can't see very far in, that's where they want to bet because the, the wind will give them the tip that we're coming. Yes. If they can't see very far, so you bet. I yeah. found a bed. I found a bed Tuesday, clearly well defined, exactly which end of the deer was which and which its back was, and yeah, it's it was able to look through the woods 150 yards down below and smell anything coming from behind it. And I'm sure I kicked that deer out. Wow. But when I was coming up the hill, there was just no way I could see uh, to where that deer was. It probably smelled me, and it, yeah. it could have let me get as close as 40 yards before it moved, and I would have never known it was there. Wow, nice. You know, I, hey, like you say, we're in their environment. Uh, the old adage, what is it, uh, I remember... Ran into a trapper one time, and we were talking about scents, and he says, hey, it comes down to this, Gary. He says, they're going to they're gonna see what they can't smell, and they're going to smell what they can't see. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and you got to. If, if, you're, if you're alert to that, you're going to see that over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, hey, Steve, I really appreciate you taking time out of uh, a busy schedule for all of us, but certainly you and uh, Hey, you talked about uh, you wanted to catch a uh, phone call about your uh, son. That's uh, you mentioned he's in the military. Yeah, he's in the Navy, and uh, we don't get to talk to him very much. So mm -hmm. I got a text from him today saying he was going to call. Actually, he was he was supposed to call last night, and he couldn't. Hmm. Uh, that's why we didn't talk last night. I was expecting the call from him. So uh -huh. now tonight he's supposed to call. Yeah, hey, uh, from all the. want to wrap this up, we. Yeah, one of the keys at this time of the year is just spending as much time in the woods as you can, and it's tough when it's when it's so cold. But uh, uh, there are a lot of things you can do to keep warm. Uh, the deer are built for this weather, but uh, but we're not. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, that's why I plan to hunt all day tomorrow and all day Saturday. Nice, well, perfect. Well, hey, I appreciate you uh, taking the phone call, taking time, and uh, tell your son uh, we appreciate. Uh, his service, and um, uh, tell him he's got a uh, he's got a pretty cool dad that writes a pretty pretty cool uh, article in uh, several different magazines. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks, Thank uh, you, thanks, yeah. Steve. I appreciate it. And, uh, God bless, buddy. Okay, you too. Take, Take care. care now. Bye bye. Bye bye. Wild Game Dynasties episode number forty five is proud to be partnered with. Happy holidays from all of us at Bearfeed Retichuk Farms. We've been very busy finding bait and stocking the shed for the coming year. You will find a variety of candies, dry bases, flavorings, and syrups waiting to tempt Bear into visiting your bait site when you draw that tag in June. So don't forget to stop in and see us for the best bait assortment around. And we always have 50-pound bags of corn for sale. You know, for Santa's reindeer. Merry Christmas and God bless. That's a wrap, folks. Episode number 45 is in the book, in the computer, online, and available for you to listen. And absolutely, uh, we appreciate the fact that you could be doing a number of things, but you're listening to this podcast. We uh, really, uh, really enjoy doing this, and it's something that we look forward to because uh, these podcasts, yeah, they're for entertainment, but also we hope you uh, grab a gold nugget or two out of this thing and are out of each podcast that uh, maybe helps you uh, stay motivated to be outside and, and doing what we uh, really enjoy, and that's hunting, even if it's cold outside like it is today. But uh, also uh, maybe hones your skills a little bit from 
uh, from some folks that uh, uh, maybe have a skill set that just is something we really appreciate the fact that they're sharing with us. Without further ado, we really, really appreciate everything that you uh, that you represent in the outdoors. Remember that we do represent the, uh, the hunting community and have a safe and happy holiday. More importantly, Merry Christmas.